Welcome to Justice Studio Sessions. I am Marianne Moore, foundress of Justice Studio. During these sessions, we will be exploring the social justice themes that have emerged through Justice Studio's work, showcase grassroots activism, and deep dive into ethical and equitable research and consultancy methods. Stay tuned to learn more about the complexities of social justice and how you can turn your passion into action. Hello, dear listeners. I'm so excited that you're joining us for Justice Studio Sessions' very first episode. And in this episode, I'm going to be telling you all about Justice Studio. So what is Justice Studio? Well, Justice Studio is a consultancy and research organisation. So some people may not be familiar with what consultancy is and it might be worth just giving a little bit of a definition of that. So a consultant is a professional. They're usually an expert in their field, but they came from management experts. And this is a relatively new profession. So towards the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century, there started to be firms who wanted to hire experts in order to help them to make their firms work more efficiently. And originally consultants were kind of consulting engineers and then it gradually became a whole profession to know about management and to be able to help the for-profit industry to be better at business and a whole new profession emerged. So you may have heard of consulting firms such as McKinsey, Bain and Boston Consulting Group. And these were some of the first real management consultancy companies and they still are doing pretty well today. They're the big boys. And they've really been very influential in this management and strategy consulting field. Now, consultancy has now expanded beyond management, but it is how I was trained and it is essentially really important to the whole field. But there are now subject matter experts who are consultants who work across the charitable sector, uh, across the international development industry, and as well as management. You may be expert in gender, you may be expert in child justice, you may be expert in climate. There'll be different subjects that you are expert in and I think it's important also to combine that specialist sector expertise with the general organisational expertise and management as well. Now, when I started out in consultancy, I saw these other big consultancies and I worked for a couple of big public sector consultancies. And what I found to be really awful was that these consultancies that had grown up in the for-profit sector looked to the charitable sector, the not-for-profit sector, the third sector, whatever you want to call it, and they just saw it as another market, another way to make money. And they didn't really seem to have any real true care or passion for the people that these not-for-profit sector organisations were really there to help. And that was some of the driving force for setting up Justice Studio for me. So Justice Studio's identity is really important. We are a social enterprise, which means that we are a cross between a business and a charity. We do make a profit, but we also have a social purpose. And that purpose is creating global social equality by assisting and challenging governments, organisations and ourselves to be the best we can be. Now, being purpose driven is really important to us because there doesn't seem to be any point in having an organisation if it doesn't have a purpose. And for me, a social purpose is crucial. Now, I think inevitably, the personality of an organisation is going to be very representative of the personality and the values of the person that set it up. And I don't think Justice Studio is any exception to that. So when I started Justice Studio, I did so very much because of the things that I'd experienced in work leading up to that point. Justice Studio was born on the 17th of May 2011 
And I was 29 when I set it up. I was relatively naive and relatively arrogant to think that I would basically be able to set up an organisation so, so different from what I'd experienced before. Now, my experiences at work had been to a certain extent limited, but actually I had seen quite a lot by that time, even though I was still quite young. I started out temping in the home office and in my temping in the home office, I learned a lot about the civil service and how efficient or not efficient it was. In that time, I realized myself that I wasn't massively utilized and I could see a lot of people around me who weren't very utilized either. People were quite relaxed about when they came in. And there definitely seemed to be kind of like certain places where people were really, really busy and then other places where they really weren't. There was a real sense of, we have this structure and we have this bureaucracy and we have all of these people to do this work. And rather than thinking, do we need all these people to do this work? There was a sense that you do just kind of keep slotting people into this structure and you it doesn't matter whether or not there's loads of loads of gaps you just keep slotting people in and never never really think about the efficiency so i really did notice that this civil service could have been a lot more streamlined than it was i then was basically working in the home office in order to save up so that i could work abroad and so in the evening i was working as a barmaid and not very good one and in the daytime i was working in the home office and it was great when I finally managed to save up enough money to be able to do this voluntary work that I wanted to do abroad. So this was a voluntary placement in Bangladesh, whereby I was put into a charity and for three months I would basically do whatever the charity wanted me to do. I was very excited about going to Bangladesh, I'd never been there before. And it really was a shock to my system when I went there because I hadn't experienced being outside of Europe before, let alone being in South Asia. And the kind of obvious street poverty was really difficult to handle. It was a massive assault to my senses. I remember just kind of riding, well, even arriving at the airport and there was this kind of large cage where all the people outside were, were kind of like shouting and trying to get your attention because they wanted you to take their taxi and it was just really 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 intense and going from the car to where I was going to be staying which was in Dalmundi in the kind of center of, of Dhaka was just really really difficult to see the children who were on um, rubbish heaps and looking and collecting rubbish and all of this kind of stuff which was really heartbreaking and certainly in Bangladesh there was an awful lot of very obvious poverty with beggars coming right up to the windows who had been mutilated and who just really looked dead and tired behind the eyes and as if they had gone through traumas that you couldn't even imagine. And what struck me when I was in Bangladesh is this real difference between the people on the street and then the international workers and also the middle and upper classes who all seem to be operating in these completely different environments and different worlds. The international people would go from their nice air-conditioned parts of town in their big four by fours to the kind of country clubs and the embassy hangouts and really not communicate very much with the people on the ground at all. And then there were so many other people who had left the country in a kind of brain drain and it seemed like there was just almost no middle class and it felt quite frustrating that there was this sense that the international development industry was somehow doing good there but it didn't really seem to be doing good to me it just seemed to be swanning around and separate from everything that was going on and I just got a real sense of the hypocrisy of the international development sector and also just how important it was for intelligent and middle-class people who care about their country to kind of be able to be in their country and to help the country to improve. And these experiences made me 
fairly confident that I wanted to work in the charity sector and in the public sector to make it better. And as a very young 20-something-year-old, I thought that I could somehow do that. Now, I'm very impatient, and although I had an idea that I would work on the front line, really what I wanted to do was get straight into strategy and straight into sorting things out as much as I could. And so I decided to go into the world of consultancy. So after I was in Bangladesh, I was meant to go on a little holiday in India. I cut short the holiday in India in order to come back for a job interview. Luckily, I got the job and that was in an international development consultancy. And my job was to send different experts to different countries all over the world to do different kinds of projects. Now, as interesting as this job was, I wasn't really very keen on continuing to be somebody that sent experts abroad. I wanted to become an expert as quickly as possible. And the thing that I was really passionate about since I was a young girl was the criminal justice system and particularly young offenders. And so in order to establish credibility within the criminal justice system and to be able to understand more about young offenders and how I could help them, I decided to take a part-time master's degree and I did this alongside my work in the international development consultancy that I worked for. And then what I did was move to other consultancies who were based more in the UK and dealing with public and charitable sector within the UK. And I gradually manoeuvred myself so that I could do more and more projects which concerned young people and offending and more and more projects that were to do with criminal justice. And I also ended up doing a lot more work around child protection because this was really related to these two things. And I think probably the crowning glory for me in this stage was when I was working a lot for the Youth Justice Board and doing projects for them which helped to improve the detention of children in prison. Obviously, I was not a supporter of children being in prison at all, but some of the projects that we were able to do around strategy and around long-term offenders and evaluating some of the specialist units that they were looking into was really, really helpful for me to understand this topic and also to make some kind of difference. So at this point, I was pretty clear about what I cared about and what I wanted to do. I wanted to work in the criminal justice sector as well as the kind of wider social justice sector. I wanted to work in the charity sector, the public sector and the international development sector, all of which I felt like I could contribute towards. Now, when I started working in consultancy companies, I got a new insight which would end up leading to me creating Justice Studio. What I found when I was working in consultancy companies was, apart from learning very quickly about all of the different projects that I did, which was great, it was how they were managed and how they made me feel as an employee. And in some of the places that I worked, I really did feel like a resource. You know that term, human resource? I felt like I was a resource. I felt like the places that I worked at didn't really care about what I cared about, they didn't really care about me and they really just saw me as a kind of pawn to put wherever was most useful for them. And they didn't really have any sense of wanting to indulge my passions. So I felt very frustrated and very unseen and I didn't really particularly enjoy feeling that way. And in other places that I worked, I was so passionate it was so obvious that I really cared about the topics that I wanted to work in that sometimes they would get a bit frustrated with me and they were all a bit stuck in their ways, I felt. They weren't really open to new ideas, new design thinking that was around at the time and new ways of doing things. I was this person who had so much passion and so many ideas and they were all bubbling up inside me and I felt really, really constrained by the working experiences that I had. And I kept saying to myself, as I went through all of my different work experiences, that what I needed to do was create an organisation where the people who worked there didn't feel the same things that I felt. 
I wanted to work somewhere where my passions were inflamed rather than dampened down, where new ideas were kind of the catalyst for other sparks and other ways of doing things, and where I really felt valued as a person. And so when you become a career consultant, especially if that's the first job you do, you end up being a bit weirdly qualified. You're very qualified in some areas and very unqualified in other areas. You know about management and strategy and evaluation and research, but you don't necessarily have some of the other more concrete experiences of frontline or management of of direct staff. So I didn't really know where to go and where I might fit in in the real world. And I had all these ideas. And so it was all this that led me in May 2011 to establish Justice Studio and try and create an organisation which would work in all of the industries that I really cared about in the charity sector, in the public sector, in international development, and in a way that really made me feel happy to work there. So what does Justice Studio actually do? One of the things I wanted to ensure that Justice Studio did was not just focus on international work, but also to look really closely at the UK system and explore social justice within this context. Because it really annoyed me that loads and loads of Western countries, well, particularly the UK and the US, were incredibly patronising towards other countries who they called developing countries. And it struck me that the entire industry was hypocritical and a big mess because of this kind of assumption that there were certain countries that were like doing really okay and like other countries that weren't doing okay and they needed the help of these Western countries. Now, it seemed to me so clear that the UK and the US were doing social justice incredibly badly and this idea that they were meant to be these beacons of best practice was really frustrating. I worked in lots of different countries and when I spoke to the people in those different countries there was this assumption that the way that things were done in England was better than how they were doing it and and they thought that because the UK and the US had been so instrumental in creating the international standards that that meant that they really actually lived by the international standards. But of course the United States still hasn't ratified the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. And in the UK, I was so keenly aware that our youth justice policy in particular is atrocious. So from the outset, Justice Studio was an organisation that was going to work in the UK and in other countries around the world. Now, we started off being very much linked to the kind of work that I was used to doing and that I was very passionate about, which was to do with child justice and criminal justice and how they intersect in the policy and the strategy around young offenders. But we have gradually realised that, of course, everything is much more intersected than that. And so we have expanded into social justice in general, which includes gender justice, climate justice and safeguarding, which is the new way of talking about things that we used to talk about in terms of child protection. All of our projects are concerned with one or a few of these different thematic areas. One of our early projects was with UNICEF in Macedonia, and this is now known as North Macedonia. And in this project, what we were doing was assessing the child justice policy that they had, the particular policy towards young offenders. We were looking at the law and how it could be better aligned with the international standards set by the United Nations. And we were also seeing how could we improve the capacity and the knowledge of the frontline staff. So as part of this project, I did a whole load of training of police officers and tried to get them to think much more empathetically about the children that might be in their custody. Within criminal justice, we also did a really interesting project for Independent Age, where we looked at the impact of elder abuse on older people. This was a scoping study and a legal review and data analysis of all of the relevant prosecution and sentencing data 
by victim type. We consulted with key stakeholders and undertook different potential ways that policy could be improved to help older people who were victims of abuse in the UK. Within gender justice, we did a really interesting project for womankind worldwide, where we were evaluating their strategy, which was all about building women's movements for change across Uganda, Zimbabwe and Kenya. And we looked in depth at how these movements had been contributing to the strategy and how womankind could make sure that they were truly a feminist organisation. We also undertook a piece of pro bono research during the COVID-19 pandemic where we worked with Solace Women's Aid to understand the influx of calls they had during the pandemic to do with domestic violence and domestic abuse. And so we analysed what was going on. We spoke to a number of women who were in shelters and also a number of staff to try and understand both the difficulties that the women were facing at home and what had led them to needing the help of Solace Women's Aid as well as understanding what is the impact of staff who both had to deal with the pandemic itself as well as trying to help others in this really, really difficult time. Within the wider social justice category, we've done a lot of work around homelessness and we did a really interesting project for a whole load of organisations, including Crisis, Thames Reach, St Mungo's and Mind in the City, Hackney and Waltham Forest, which explored how these partners could improve the employment support for workless people who were also experiencing severe and multiple disadvantage, including homelessness. This included some really interesting focus groups with people who were experiencing homelessness and got all of their views together in order to inform how this project could work. This is just a snapshot of the different work that we've done. And over the course of these episodes, we'll be delving into some of the different thematics that we've uncovered as part of our work. Now, in general, we've obviously looked at all of these different social justice themes, but there's cross-cutting elements to our work, and you can broadly break these down into different categories. So one massive category is research, and this includes quantitative research, which is like the numbers and statistics, and qualitative research, which is about talking to people through focus groups, interviews, and other more exciting methods, as well as participatory research, which includes all sorts of co-creation, artistic ways of engaging people, and really thinking about how can we be creative and innovative in the way that we understand and get information. Now, the other part of our work is consultancy. And as I said, consultancy comes from this idea of management consultancy. And that's really about thinking strategically, looking at how an organization operates and where it can be improved, looking at how a project operates and how can it be improved, looking at the different elements of the work that is done on the ground and how that is translated up to the top. And so in the consultancy work that we do, it really is a bit of a blend between understanding the sector as well as understanding the organisation and ultimately helping that organisation to be able to improve in order to create better services. As well as discrete consultancy projects, which might take quite a lot of work to look at a specific issue. I also have now launched an advisory service and in this advisory service, I can be engaged by the hour to deal with a certain issue that might have come up. I also offer a retainer service for clients who have previously engaged us and we've worked with in some capacity before. And in these different advisory sessions, they're very much linked to whatever it is that the person who calls on me wants to discuss. So it could be a thematic issue, it could be to do with safeguarding with child justice, or it could be a particular project and how that's working. It could even be an organisational challenge, such as change and transition, or in terms of the person's individual leadership or management style and needing a bit of help on that. But really, it's just a bespoke service whereby I will work with you to help you 
in whatever way is most useful and we can devise the right solution. The other thing that Justice Studio has started doing more recently is training. Now we've done training actually for a long time for different clients so we've devised and delivered training and so what we have now is I have devised a series of in-house training and one of the key parts of that training is compassionate consultancy training. The compassionate consultancy training is really basically everything that I would want a consultant to know if they worked for Justice Studio. And it's the culmination of everything that I have learned over my years of consultancy in terms of management consultancy and also sector expertise consultancy. And it takes people through the skills of being a consultant as well as how to establish good relationships. And it really contextualizes consultancy within the format of the not-for-profit and the charitable sector. And it takes people on a much more deeper psychological understanding of working with people, but also how organizations work. So the things that I find really, really interesting and are really, really important, but are often ignored are how culture is created what happens when organizations need to change? How do you deal with that kind of transition, that process, which is actually a very psychological and difficult process? How can you understand organizational anxiety and understand all of the different dynamics that happen away from the kind of rational core of the business or core of the organization? So there are so many different things that go on for individuals and for groups and for organizations. And it's impossible really to have a compassionate view of your clients unless you can understand those psychological underpinnings. So I'm really excited about that course. It's relatively new. And in that, I really try and give you everything that you need to be a compassionate consultant. And because I had this early experience of feeling like the organisations I worked for were really stuck in their ways and they weren't open to new and interesting ideas. And because I myself are very creative, I really felt that it was very important to have an approach to new ideas and new methods and new techniques as kind of a really open feeling towards all of these different things. Because of course, we're evolving and we need to learn as many different interesting and clever ways to do our job better. So at the heart of Justice Studio is the fact that it's a studio, the fact that it's a creative place where we collaboratively solve problems. And it's not just like we have this one formula, we have this product, we have this tool, and we'll just apply this tool to every single organisation. It's about being in dialogue with the clients that we're working with and really trying to understand how can we be clever about this? How can we be creative about this? How can we think more out of the box about it? In our work, the kind of style that I wanted Justice Studio to embody was one where we're kind of a cross between a university, a company and a charity the rigour of a university, the compassion of a not-for-profit and the efficiency of a corporate. I wanted us to have a inquiring mindset, a problem-solving attitude, but also an approach that's really based in empathy. And in fact, the values of Justice Studio are the most important thing that I've always wanted to communicate to people who work for us and also for people who we work for. I found that when I was working in public sector consultancy, that a lot of the consultancies working in the area had come from the private sector. And really the only reason they were working in the public and charity sector was because it was another market, another way of making money. And so they had the same mindset that they did when they were working in the profit-making sector, which they then just transplanted onto the charity and public sector. And to, this to me seemed really wrong because I feel that if you're a consultant or a consultancy working in the public and charitable sector, it is important that you share the same values as that sector. There's no point in working in this sector if you fundamentally don't care 
about the outcomes for the people that the charity and the public sector are meant to be helping. If you don't have any compassion for these end service users, then how are you going to help the organisation to run in the best way that it possibly can? And so for me, Justice Studio's values of compassion were really, really important. And added to that, I wanted to show that consultants could be empathetic, that they could really put themselves in the shoes of those people who would ultimately be benefiting from the services that we were trying to improve, as well as putting ourselves in the shoes of the organisations themselves that we're trying to help. It's a really difficult environment to work in when you're working in frontline public delivery because you are dealing with so many different problems of people and you're just trying to make them better, but the staff themselves are often overworked and underpaid and undervalued. And without an appreciation for this, it's very hard to be able to really help the organization in question. And I found again that empathy was really missing from the more private sector who were working in the public sector. Another important value that I've always taught as being incredibly important in our work has been our commitment to truth. Now, when you're a consultant and you're doing something like an evaluation of a project, you might often encounter ways of working that you would say weren't necessarily the best ways of working or you find ways that these things could be improved. And if we don't tell our clients these ways that they can be improved and tell them the truth of the situation, then how can they improve? I see our role in a consultancy as being that of holding a mirror up to the organisation that we work with. We kind of have to show them warts and all. And this can be difficult to take sometimes for the organisation and they can react in different ways. We've certainly had examples of people who found it really hard to hear feedback. And so one of the other skills of being a consultant is to be able to deliver feedback in a way that lands, that is truthful, but is also diplomatic and kind. And finally, one of the other really important values that I had, because it just is in me, is passion. And because I had really bad experiences of feeling that the passion I had for my work was being dampened down rather than inflamed, I've always tried to ensure that anybody I work with, anybody that works for Justice Studio, that I can understand what their passion is, where their interests lie, and we can make sure that they work as much as possible in these areas and that we can kind of feed their passion rather than dampen it down. Because of my early experiences at work, I was really influenced by a lot of recent management work which talks about how you can make sure that the people who work for you bring their full selves into the organisation. And I have tried as much as possible to ensure that the way that Justice Studio is run is in a way that means that people don't have to pretend that they're somebody else. Where we assume from the outset that they are responsible and trustworthy and that they will do their job rather than assuming that they are somehow untrustworthy and need to be controlled or micromanaged. Ideally, Justice Studio is a place for unlocking each employee's potential and purpose and therefore contributing to Justice Studio's overall purpose in the world. And I like to see each person that works for Justice Studio as a kind of branch on a tree with Justice Studio being the tree. And as long as we're following our passion, following what we care about and working towards that, then we as branches or people grow and that also further grows the organisation. The whole way through Justice Studio's life, which is now coming into its teenage years, I have sought to make business decisions based on what we think is right rather than making them based on profit. And for me, the most important thing in this is listening to our moral inner voice and aligning it with our purpose. So when I've had to make really, really difficult decisions in Justice Studio, and there have been plenty of times when I've had to make really difficult decisions, it's always ended up being because I have tried to work out what is our end goal, what is our purpose, And what is the decision that makes the most sense 
if we keep in mind our purpose. And I hope even though we've made difficult decisions over the years, that we have continued to stick to that drive and that purpose. And ultimately, I think that it's so important for people to bring their true and whole selves to work and not to feel like they have to wear any kind of mask or pretend to be somebody different. Now, I acknowledge that many of my ideals of how Justice Studio should be have been difficult to work out in practice. Running an organisation is really tricky and the kind of arrogance stroke naivety that it took to start Justice Studio has certainly worn into wisdom over time and much more humility. And so I would say by now, I'm certainly more humble, but a lot wiser. And what I've really found is the difficulty in when you're running a very purpose-driven organisation, where you put your moral compass before your profit, you then can get into difficulty if you don't prioritise your profit enough. Because it's actually quite hard to stick to your values if you're struggling financially. And cash flow and all of these kind of stresses and worries that can happen over time will make it much more difficult for you to live freely and have more of a kind of natural affinity with your purpose. You can end up being a bit stuck between what you really want to do and what you can afford to do. And so over the years, I've been gradually learning how can I ensure that Justice Studio is abundant, not just in values and in purpose, but also in its bank account. One of the key ways that Justice Studio has developed in its philosophy over the years is how it defines itself as a feminist business. Now, when I set Justice Studio up, I was definitely a feminist and I was definitely wanting to set up a business, but I wouldn't say that I necessarily characterised Justice Studio as a feminist business. It was as my feminism was growing and changing and cementing that I realised, actually, I think it's really important that Justice Studio be explicitly feminist. So what do I mean when I say that Justice Studio is a feminist business. Well, maybe it's important first to just acknowledge power structures in general and our power philosophy. So it is important to acknowledge that the world that we live in is structurally unequal. There are certain groups of people who have much more societal recognition and value than other groups of people. And this is a thing that is in the structures of our institutions. It's not just individual. So in our work, we acknowledge that the world is patriarchal. And that means that men hold a disproportionate amount of structural power, influence and wealth in our world. And that the world glorifies values which are patriarchal, such as domination and control. The world is also white privileged. White people hold a disproportionate amount of structural power, influence and wealth in the world. And there's a historical legacy of colonial oppression and slavery in our world, which perpetuates racial stereotypes. Our world is also capitalist. It's organized by and glorifies private property, land ownership, capital and wealth accumulation in the hands of a minority. And it upholds competitively unequal markets. It's also ableist, so older people and people with disabilities are often marginalised, discriminated against and exploited. It's cis-heteronormative, which means that our world promotes binary gender as the norm and heterosexuality as the normal or preferred sexual orientation. The world is adult-dominated. Children are not given the same rights as adults and yet they are often given many responsibilities, especially criminal responsibility. And finally, it's disrespectful of our natural environment. We as a whole see animals, plants and land as resources for human use rather than as natural allies in a world which is abundant. And all of these structural issues influence on 
us on an individual level. Of course, there are all sorts of issues that each individual has, which might mean that their path in the world is more difficult than others. But these structural inequalities are hugely important and the more that they intersect, the more difficult it can be for individuals to be able to kind of live their potential. And I think that every project that Justice Studio does needs to have this in its understanding because how can we really help anybody in any projects in social justice if we don't understand these structural inequalities? And we always keep these in mind in order to ensure that the solutions that we bring and the kind of way that we think about projects and how projects can be improved and how projects can be most beneficial to people has to be informed by this structural power approach. So back to the feminism. Justice Studio acknowledges that we operate in a patriarchal society and so as a business we are committed to dismantling that power structure. It bucks the trend because it was founded, it is owned and has been led by women. And that means that we're in a tiny minority of consultancy organisations. But also, my feminism is very much focused on values. And I see patriarchy as not so much the domination of men over women, which of course it is, but really as a set of values that we say are important in the world. As I said, Values of domination and control are really very important within patriarchy, as well as other values such as competition and scarcity, all of these values that come from fear. And I see feminism as really challenging these values. And so when we think about creating a feminist business, what we're trying to do is to create different values and to lead and ensure that our culture has values of things like trust and empathy rather than control and hierarchy. It means that we embrace things that are dismissed by traditional business, such as emotions or our desires. In traditional business speak, the only emotion that's really allowed is anger. And it's really seen as very weird if you have other emotions, if you cry or anything like that, or show that you're sad in some way or even that you're passionate, because really what is valued in our mainstream business culture is this sense of detachment. And so I see a feminist business as enabling us to be our full selves by also enabling us to have all of our emotions. And I have certainly cried a lot in Justice Studio. Now, there are some also more practical ways of being a feminist business. So we use feminist research methodologies. We also embed our feminist approach in our policies and procedures. So we ensure that we have equal maternity and paternity and parental leave. And we ensure that our structure, culture and the work we do furthers gender equality rather than inhibits it. One of the other things I do, which may seem a little eccentric, is that I call myself a foundress rather than a founder. And that's really because, partly because just the word founder has just got so gross and everybody seems to call themselves a founder and it's kind of annoying. I didn't want to be one of those annoying people. But also because I acknowledge that there's a real difference between gender neutral terms and terms which have been predominantly male norms which then kind of subsume female terminology. So what I mean by that is that there are certain words whereby we can really acknowledge that they're neither male or female, they've never been male or female, and so they really could be considered gender neutral, or we can kind of make new terms which would be gender neutral. And I'm all for gender neutral terminology. But there are some other terms which are male, and have always been kind of used in a male context. And because of being male and used in this context, they have been given more value over time than the female versions of the name. For example, if you look at something like actor or actress, so we've had actor and actress for a long while, and actors have been more valued than actresses. And so 
when thinking about kind of how we how can we give more value to the word actress or to the people who are called actress they have thought okay well maybe we'll just call them actors because the actor word has this better value to it but for me that feels uncomfortable because really that's just um, subsuming the female terminology within the male norm and we've seen so much over time how the male how there is a male norm and then a female other and when we also subsume the female terminology within the male terminology i really see it not so much as making it gender neutral but as make, making the female term invisible and when i was looking at the word founder I realised that there was another word called foundress. It was mainly used for abbesses and people who'd kind of set up ecclesiastical organisations in the Middle Ages. So it kind of has that Middle Ages and medieval quality to it. But once I realised that there was a female version of the word, it just felt so uncomfortable to call myself a founder. Not least because of also the earlier thing I said about it being a bit gross. And so I just decided to call myself a foundress because I also have this feeling that the only way to really change the value of a word is not to change the actual word, but it's to change the thing that's being named. In a way, if women are undervalued, it doesn't matter what we call them, they'll continue to be undervalued. And so in everything I do, I want to ensure that female qualities, things that have been traditionally classed as female, are revered and valued and appreciated rather than devalued. And so that name is just one way that I do that. So what can you expect as you listen to Justice Studio sessions? Well, the motivation for this podcast was really because we've done so much work and we haven't really told very many people about it. Justice Studio has done over 100 consultancy projects. We've worked in over 30 countries and we've done projects from homelessness to prison work to feminist and LGBT movements to child justice, all sorts of different projects and themes. And we really thought it would be useful to bring some of the knowledge that we have uncovered during our work to a broader audience. When you work in consultancy and research, you end up really learning an awful lot about your subject. You dive deep into a certain issue and you can understand so many different elements to it. And there are so many complexities. And not only just do you learn about the topic of the project that you're dealing with, but you can see all of the other interconnected themes and issues. And we thought that it would be really important to be able to bring some of the knowledge that we've gained to people so that they can help to understand some of the subjects that we hear about in the news or that we might encounter on the street, but in a much more detailed way. So over the course of this podcast, we're going to be doing three things. We're going to be deep diving into some of the projects that Justice Studio has done in terms of the themes that have been uncovered and we're going to be talking to some of the experts that have worked on the project or other people who are working in the same thematic of the project in a different context. We're going to be looking at social justice activism because a lot of Justice Studios work has been around uncovering movements in internationally as well as in the UK. We've looked at feminist movements, LGBT movements and climate justice movements across the globe and I think it's really really important for people to understand more about what's happening in terms of these really grassroots movements. They don't get a lot of airtime on the news, it's usually the bigger organisations that get a chance to speak about what they're doing. So we, we really wanted to showcase the kind of stuff that they're doing and it's amazing some of the work that people are putting in often for free. And it would be really great, I think, to be able to try and connect the wider public with the social justice movement so that they can support them both financially and also just in terms of patting them on the back and giving them a lot more appreciation. The biggest thing I see in the charitable sector, in the global movement sector and in the public sector is that there are a lot of people that really, really care and they don't get the kind of monetary appreciation that they deserve and they don't get the kind of 
normal appreciation that people should get. So we wanted to do that as part of this podcast. And finally, because we're a consultancy and research organisation, and we're pretty nerdy, I wanted to ensure that we also looked at the kind of methodologies that we use. As I said, our approach to structural inequality is important to us, and so we use methodologies which are feminist, anti-racist, which use queer theory, and all sorts of different procedures that mean that we can do work which enforces the values that we have and contributes to the world rather than keeping it in the same bad status quo. Finally, I will be sharing a lot of the things that I've learned along the way. I will be particularly deep diving into my areas of expertise and sharing with you my thoughts and what I've learned. I'm really excited about Justice Studio Sessions and what it will become, and I can't wait to hear what other people think as well. I'd be really, really grateful if anybody listening would get in touch with us and tell us what they think. And that's it for the first episode. In the following two opening episodes, we're going to be talking about food banks in London and women in prison in Uganda. And the people that I'm talking to are lovely, informed and really care about their subjects. And you will get so much from what they have to say. So until then, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to Justice Studio Sessions. We have so enjoyed deep diving into social justice with you. Justice Studio provides compassionate consultancy rooted in social justice. If you would like to work with us, please visit our website at www.justicestudio.org or email us at info at This podcast relies on your support. If you love our content and would like to see this podcast reach more people, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating or leave us a lovely review. We would be delighted for you to share your thoughts, musings, or favourite parts of the podcast with us on social media. You can tag and or follow Marianne at creatrix.london and Justice Studio at Justice Studio on all the major social sites. This podcast was hosted by Marianne Moore and produced by Justice Studio Limited. The music was by Luke Fraser at The Tonic and the artwork was by Marianne. Thank you so much for listening.